a, a um, you know, a manger and there's a baby in there, not a gummy bear or, or lolly or anything like that, or a dog biscuit even. So it's not a, well, it's a, it's a baby, that's something. We tried. That's the important thing, isn't it? Um, friends, um, we're going to take a moment because there are some little kids here who may want to, if they like, um, jump up now and grab a... We've got some colouring in sheets um, that they might want to play with as they sit next to their parents. Um, if, you're, if you're like 18 and above, you shouldn't get one of these, OK? Just don't... I know they look like fun, they really are, and they do look like good fun, but it's just not cool. Okay, so while we do that, I'm going to get a drink of water, and um, kids, if you want to jump at the back there, grab one of those, then come and sit back with mum and dad, you can. All right, I think we're looking like they're set. Someone didn't get the right colour. Not good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, this Christmas, what we've done over the last few weeks here at Robbo Anglican is that I have ripped off the words of that old, well-known Christmas uh, song sung by Bing Cosme, uh, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And in a moment of creative genius, this is what I've done. I've, I've taken out the white and I've put a blank there and we're going to fill that in. So, just incredible, don't you think? Yeah, I thought you'd like it. Um, anyway, so, yes, I, when I was a kid, when I was uh, dreaming, um, dreaming of Christmas time and presents and so forth, I hope you get some nice presents this morning. Sadly, I'm not wearing anything new. There you go. I, didn't get, I did get a shirt, but it, it was a singlet, and it's just not appropriate for church in the morning. You want to be able to eat your lunch at the end of the day and all that sort of thing. Anyway, so I dreamed of a, um, a particular type of action man figure. Do they still have action men figures around? If you're old enough, you know what an action man is. Yes, okay, there's a few. If, well, this is not... I didn't dream of any particular action man figure. I dreamt of... Well, I'll show you the picture. Sadly, well, there it is. It's the Mr T... Mr. T action man figure, you know, I pity the fool. Um, that guy from the A-Team. So when I grew up, I watched the, uh, the A-Team on the way home, oh no, after I got home from school and Hogan's Heroes. They're in my two shows. Love them both. So that's what I dreamed about when I thought about Christmas. I suppose that was, that was my hope for Christmas, which is a bit strange, really. But that was me as a little kid. Now, back to this Bing Cosby song, right? That, that song was very popular and it was... It actually broke through the charts in 1941 uh, and topped the Billboard charts in 1942. Now, that's pretty weird for a thematic song because it was all about Christmas. And normally they don't go so... Um, well, they don't get to the top of the charts if there's a certain theme to them. But anyway, it was in the Christmas of 1941, just a few weeks after the Pearl Harbour bombings of World War II, that this song, uh, well, took off. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the song is about hope. The song is really about what we hope for when it comes to Christmas, perhaps what we dream about. And, well, they dreamt of peace, naturally. Uh, they dreamt of a, of a white Christmas just like the ones they used to know. That's the words of the song. So what are you dreaming about this Christmas? What are you hoping for? For many people, Christmas is a time of hope. They're dreaming of a hopeful Christmas, uh, a believing in the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, hope in humanity, the goodness of the world, uh, giving and generosity, 
happiness and joy, peace and family and togetherness, celebration, all great things, aren't they? Uh, But I'm wondering how dependable is this hope? Is it certain? Would you or could you bank on it? Or will it fade or disappoint? Is this a hope that you could bet your life on? Uh, You see, what if, like many, at Christmas time, I feel lonelier than ever? What if at Christmas time I'm struggling to find joy? Or I'm poor and I can't afford the gifts the kids want, giving is out of the question. Or what if Christmas means that I know that my family doesn't measure up? Mine's not like the shiny, happy ones on TV or like the nice church family down the road. Um, Or perhaps simply we feel acutely the hopelessness of our environment under threat. What hope is there for me today? What hope is there for me at Christmas? Well, the story we read in the Bible, and it was an edited story we watched in the video at the start of the, at the, start of the service, uh, the, the story we read in the Bible tells us of the, that the world was sent hope. Hope in the form of a man who is God, Jesus. Hope that is certain. Hope that won't disappoint or fade away or fall short. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and the Bible says that light has come. So today, as we think a bit more about the Christmas story, and we're going to just spend a few minutes looking at a few characters, well, and we're going to, the, the real and certain hope that was born on that day. We're going to meet some characters, and the first set of characters we meet are in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to focus on the reading that Michelle read right at the start of the service um, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. These first characters, well, they're strange characters, really. Um, Jesus and his parents meet uh, the Magi from the East. Now, some, um, some translations use the word wise men uh, to describe these guys, but magi is much better because what they were, they were astrologers. They were magicians. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't wise, but that's what they were, advisors or counsellors in that sense. They were often people of influence. Uh, they would be people a king would turn to for an interpretation of a dream, for example. So a good, a good example is back in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had this wild and crazy dream. And who does he call upon? Well, he calls upon magi, uh, astrologers, to interpret his dream. Now, they can't do it, by the way. Only Daniel, the man of God, can. So they were people of influence, but not kings. So you can sort of rule out any historical accuracy of that old Carol, we three kings of Orient are. Um, Sorry to spoil that for you. Uh, You can still whistle it and so forth. Uh, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Well, they weren't really kings. In fact, there's every chance, too, there were a whole lot more than three of them. There's probably about, well, actually, it would take take a lot more than three, three visitors to get the great King Herod's attention. Chances are there are probably about 50 of them. And while we're at it, they probably weren't on camels either because they came from the east, which meant they came from Persia, they came from uh, Babylon, Iraq, if you like, and they were horse people and not camel people. So they're probably on horses, but I don't want to spoil too much for you. Anyway, um, but something, more, something much more important is worthwhile pointing out. And that is, in the Old Testament, astrology and astrologers, and not to be confused with the respected study of astronomy, or magi, you see, these astrologers, these magi, are never seen in a good light. Never. Never. 
they always are seen negatively. So I'll give you a couple examples. So astrologers are the object of the prophet Isaiah's ridicule, speaking of the impending fall of Babylon, that, that godless city, and their dependence on such futile superstition. Isaiah 47 verse 13, I've got it up on the screen as well. Isaiah writes, all the counsel you have received has only worn you out. That's the counsel from these astrologers, these magi, right? Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble, right? And the fire will burn them up. That's not beards double, okay? That's like sticks and light twigs and so on. Um, Jeremiah 8 is another example. The Lord speaks speaks, uh, of the evil of Judah, the people of God who worship and consult and serve the moon and the stars and the heavens rather than the true and living God. So, again, a negative reaction. Okay, so here's our big question then. Why then did God use astrologers who are seen in such a bad light all through the Old Testament, why did God use astrologers, these magi from pagan Babylon, to introduce the saviour of the world? God's son. Why on earth did he use them? Good question, I think. I'm not going to tell you the answer now, though. You have to wait around around and keep listening, all right? Let's look at something else. Something else you might have probably wondering as well. What did these magi see in the sky? Have you ever thought about that? And, And probably more importantly, how did they get it right? Not easy, is it? I've tried to follow a star. It's tough. Um... How did they get it right? Well, many people over the years have taken a stab at, uh, at what these magi might have seen from planetary conjunctions of Saturn and Jupiter to the possibility of Halley's Comet going, going by um, to a nova. That's a, a nova is a temporary star that appears, to, appears due to an explosion. You know, truth is, we're actually not quite sure. We're not really sure. Well, was it, but was it miraculous? Oh, I think so, yeah. But I think they understood what they saw. See, you might remember in verse 2, in Matthew 2, it says that they understood it to be his star. It was Jesus' star. But I think the more important question is, how did they end up in the right spot, these astrologers, these magi from pagan, this pagan land? And what does it mean that they got it right? Certainly God can use bad things, Right? Mistaken beliefs, the superstition of astrology for good. Can't he? I think we have to say yes. The cross of Christ is a good example of that. Evil being used for good. There you go. God can do that. And certainly there's what's what Christians call the sovereignty of God going on. That is that God's in control of everything. He can do what he wants. He's controlling all things for his purposes. But in the end, it wasn't astrology that led them to Jesus anyway. It was the word of God. It was God himself See, back in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, remember the chief priests and the religious heavies had been summoned to Herod so as he could find this king of the Jews. Now, don't be fooled by Herod's uh, pious response. You might remember in verse 8, Herod said, so that I too can worship him. Yeah, fat chance. Uh, Herod wanted to knock him off. That's what Herod wanted to do. So the chief priests and teachers of the law Read Herod, a section from Micah 5, and it's a bit of 2 Samuel 5 as well. It's from the Old Testament. And Matthew records it in verse uh, 2, verse 6. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you see what God's doing here? See, by God's doing, Herod sent the Magi and they ended up at the right house via the word of God read by these Jewish heavies to Herod. But again, what does it mean that they ended up in Bethlehem? And when they did, they were overjoyed and they bowed down and worshipped. That's what happened. See, I reckon my hunch is that they realised that this baby was more than a Jewish king. I reckon they realised that this was more than a Jewish matter. This king had something to do with them. I reckon that's what they realised. And friends, I reckon that's what we ought to realise today too. This king has something to do with us. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Okay. Let's now look at another character in the story, a guy called King Herod. Herod the Great, as history knows him, was born in 73 BC. So by the time Jesus was born, he was an old man, right? He was clever. He was ruthless. He was a great administrator. He subjected heavy taxes on, uh, on the people. And, well, he was despised by his Jewish subjects. Remember that the, uh, Jerusalem was living under Roman occupation at the time. Now, towards the end of his life, he suffered from great paranoia. So much so that we're told that he murdered one of his wives and two of his sons because of his paranoia about losing power. The next little section in Matthew 2 tells us more of Herod's evil. We sort of skip over it a bit because maybe you've heard it a few times. But just think about these words again and what's being planned by this King Herod. Verse 16, when Herod realised that they had been outwitted by the Magi, which is a cool story in itself, we don't have time to get into that right now, uh, he was furious. What does he do? He gives orders to kill, to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. So we're talking about a despicable tyrant, aren't we? In accordance with it, and so he worked it out with the time he learned from the Magi. He was on the hunt for Jesus. He felt under threat, didn't he? Now, back in verse 3, we're told that this great, powerful king was disturbed by the news that Jesus had been born. Now, if you want to get techie with the original languages here, that word disturbed in the Greek actually can easily be translated troubled or upset, but it can also be translated frightened. Frightened. That's the sort of feeling that's going on here. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. This baby boy, born in a feeding trough, right, in a small, nothing really town, like Bethlehem wasn't, you know, wasn't Robertson, let's just say that anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, nothing really town, that caused this great king to be troubled, frightened even. Isn't that extraordinary? Now, was it just a political threat that he was imagining? Or was there possibly something bigger going on? Okay, let's look at this final character in uh, this, this story in Matthew's account. And it's actually, this final character isn't mentioned, well, only mentioned by a small reference in the Micah 5 reference from the end of verse 6 we looked at. But, of course, it's God. God is not specifically spoken of, but, of course, he's throughout the whole story. So... What's God doing here? 
Why Magi? Remember that question? A big question. Why Magi, these astrologers, these pagans from Babylon, to introduce his son, the saviour of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who has come to save his people from their sins? What's the message that we ought to hear today? Well, I reckon the clue is in verses 10 and 11. I think I've got it up there. There it is. When they saw the star, these magi, well, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. The Old Testament prophets spoke of an expectation of a king to come. And we're going to sing a, a, a carol in a moment about... Um, uh, about this expectation, waiting for Jesus, God's king, to come. So these prophets, it's, it's called come, come Thou Long Expected Jesus, but these prophets spoke of a time when, when every knee would bow to God's king, when all people, the wise and the powerful from all lands, from all races, every knee shall bow and surrender their riches and confess God's king. That's what these prophets in the Old Testament spoke of. You see, see what's going on? The story of the Magi here from the east is a foretaste of what God is doing in his world by his king, his son, Jesus. This is a message that, well, it ought to make the proud and powerful tremble, that's for sure. For although one, all will one day, for all will one day bow before God's king, and only those entrusting God's king will be saved. One commentator put it this way. How do we respond to this? Well, uh, two responses this commentator talked about, which I, I really liked. One is shaken, not stirred. So he must have been a Bond fan. I can't wait for the new Bond movie, April, I believe. Looks awesome. Uh, shaken, not stirred. You see, Jerusalem, let's just say Jerusalem, that represents the chief priests and the Jewish heavies, right? The guys who came up to Herod. Those chief priests and teachers of the law, like Herod, well, they were shaken, weren't they, by the coming of Jesus? But they weren't stirred to move. They weren't stirred to trust, to worship this king, to worship Jesus. These theologians that Herod had gathered together were even happy to quote Old Testament prophecies concerning this coming king, but they did not stir. They didn't do anything. They didn't go and even visit the king. They didn't go and check him out, just in case. They didn't do a thing. They were too busy, maybe. Maybe they were just too important to meet this Jesus guy. Maybe it was too costly to meet Jesus, knowing that, well, there might be consequences in their life. Friends, I'm, I'm wondering if that might represent you today. We've heard it. It's a great story, isn't it? It really is a great story. We've only got a taste of it, really. Some interesting bits of information have effectively turned you off a Christmas carol that you might have once liked. Um, you're possibly shaken. Maybe you are. Or at least moved, but you're hesitant to stir. That's one response that we can have. Here's the other response, and I think it's a much better one. The second response, the message for us here is that anyone can come to the Lord Jesus. Anyone can come to King Jesus. That's the message behind the Magi's visit. No matter where you're from, no matter what colour your skin, no matter what age, with money or without, Jesus doesn't say no to anyone. 
What's more, whether you're an astrologer who puts their trust in the created things rather than the creator, or you're just a run-of-the-mill sinner like me, anyone can come to the Lord Jesus. Anyone can come to the Lord Jesus and be forgiven and be right with God, their creator, and be saved, as the Bible says, and welcomed by his death on the cross. See, if you put your trust in this king, you have cause for humble confidence. You have hope. Now, it's not a hope like I was hoping for a Mr. T action man figure. All right, that's across my fingers. I really hope I get my Mr. T action man figure. All right, maybe next Christmas. Who knows? Um, no, it's a living hope. It's a living hope in the Lord Jesus that won't disappoint, that will never perish, spoil or fade. A real and certain hope of forgiveness of sin, of friendship and worship of the king who rules forever. Friends, I want to say that that is a hope that you can bet your life on. A hope that really lasts. A hope that you can give your life to. See, Christmas, well, Christmas may disappoint. The things of this world, the environment itself, families may disappoint. Gifts will get possibly, well, gifts may well get possibly broken today. Um, The gifts of Christmas Day, that happens, doesn't it? Really, they last about two hours. Uh, Gifts fade away. But the love of God in the gift of his son will not. I want to invite you to pray a prayer. I'll put it up on the screen. You can have a little look at it. I'm going to pray pray it phrase by phrase. But it's a prayer that actually asks us to, well, ask God. um, uh, It's a prayer that says that you've shaken me today and I'm stirred to move. It's a prayer that says I want to give my life to you, Lord Jesus. It's a prayer that says I'm I'm sorry. Uh, And it's a prayer that says thank you that Jesus came to die for my sin. Um, That's why he came. He didn't stay a baby. He grew up, became a man and died for our sin. And it's a prayer that says, God, forgive me and change me that I might live with Jesus as my king. How about I pray this? And if you want to pray it with me, we'll all sort of bow our heads and close our eyes, all right? But if if you want to pray it with me, just repeat it in the quietness of your own heart. Phrase by phrase, I'll do it so you can keep up with me. And um, I'd love you to tell someone if you prayed it seriously, maybe for the first time. Come and tell me after the service if you like. We don't have a morning tea or anything. Most people want to just, just get going out, out over their lunches. Um, but come and talk to me if you like. That'd be great. Or Michelle, she's around as well. So how about we pray? Lord God creator of the heavens and the earth. You have shaken me today. Please stir in me to worship King Jesus, to give my life to him who is my hope. Lord, I'm sorry for the times I've ignored you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son to die, to die for me, that I may be forgiven and have real hope. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me, that I might live with Jesus as my king. Amen.
as I said, if you, if you prayed that for the first time, maybe, or you want to talk a bit more, um, we've got a great series coming up over January at 10am uh, services here. We're just asking big questions of God. You might be interested in that as well. But um, come and talk to me. Great. I'd love that. Uh, we're going to sing a song now. Um, it's a carol, uh, a well-known tune. Maybe you haven't sung the words with the tune, but you, you might know the tune. It's pretty easy to follow. Um, so why don't we stand? I'm going to take a little drink of water to save my, breath, my throat a bit. A bit smoky lately, hasn't it? It's affected my throat. There you go. Anyway, let's, um, let's stand together.